Thank you for tuning in to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald. In 1946, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed starred in a film that would all but define the cinematic representation of Christmas. Of course, we're talking about the Frank Capra production, It's a Wonderful Life. This holiday season, the Milledgeville Players are partnering with the Georgia Military College Fine Arts Program to adapt It's a Wonderful Life to the live stage. But that's not all. As a special treat for the Milledgeville-Baldwin County community, this live stage adaptation presents the beloved Christmas classic for a radio audience. Joining me today to preview It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play, are Milledgeville Players, David Michelle, director Amy Zipperer, and Jan Hoffman. I want to welcome you all, all to the WRGC studios. Thank you. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. So let's start off just talking about It's a Wonderful Life. I don't want to presume that all of our audience members are familiar with uh, the movie or the story, and especially not the play. Uh, so if you could introduce us to the story of George Bailey and his life in Bedford Falls. Well, the uh, story is a classic of a man who wants to dream big and yet has his dreams crushed because of circumstances. George Bailey, his father runs the building and loan in the small town, competing with Henry F. Potter, who's a villainous character, also a man who sells lots and runs, I guess you could call it a slum. Peter Bailey, George's father, keeps everything above board by having a good couple of rooms and the and bored for his people who are hardworking Americans. Potter doesn't care about them. That's that's the basic conflict of the beginning of the story. Go on, Amy. You tell a little bit more about oh, what happens. Come okay. on. Over the course of time, we get to learn about George Bailey, the oldest son, his sort of aspirations, and he really wants to travel the world. He wants to go to college. He has lofty dreams for somebody who comes from such a small town. But his father dies, and so he's left with the responsibility of taking the building and loan over. It's the only way that they'll keep the building and loan open. And so um, he sets aside his dreams, and his brother, younger brother goes and sort of lives out those things instead while he stays in the town and takes care of all the people. In fact, we have a clip <laughs> which sort of represents that whole moment in which George Bailey is forced to make that decision. This is actually from the play itself with Nick Thompson playing George Bailey. George's father died that night, Clarence, so he couldn't go to Europe. Instead, he got ready to go to college in the fall. But just as he was getting ready to go, the board of directors of the building and loan called a meeting. They were going to name a successor. I want the board to know that George gave up his trip to Europe to stay and straighten things out here these past few months, and it is greatly appreciated. I think that's all we'll need you for, George. Good luck in school, and I know you're anxious to make a train. Uh, yes, sir, I have a taxi waiting downstairs. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to get to my real purpose. I claim that this institution is not necessary for this little town. Therefore, Mr. Chairman, I make a motion to dissolve the building and loan. It is too soon after Peter Bailey's death to discuss chloroforming the building and loan. 
His faith and devotion are responsible for this organization. I'll go further than that. I say that Peter Bailey was the building and loan. Oh, that's fine, Potter, coming from you, considering that you drove him to his grave. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. That's what killed him. He was a man of high ideals without common sense. And where does that get us? A, a discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their heads with a lot of impossible hooey. Now you wait a minute there, Mr. Potter. Now listen, you may be right when you say that my father was no businessman. Why he ever started the building alone, I'll never know. But you can't say anything against his character. Why, in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Now, he did help a lot of people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And this rabble that you talk about, don't you forget that they're the ones that do most of the working and the paying and the living and the dying in this community. Now, is it too much to ask that they work and pay, they live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? My father didn't think so. No, they were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they were nothing but cattle. Now, in my book, my father died a richer man than you will ever be. I'm not interested in your book. Well, I... You know what? I've said too much already. You folks at the board, you do what you want with this thing. But don't forget that this town needs this measly little one-horse institution, if for no other reason than so people can have a place to go where they don't have to crawl to Potter. Sentimental hogwash. I want my motion to go on. Matilda, you should have heard George. Yeah, yeah, they'll be voting us down in there. Eh, closing us down, so what? I can get another job. I'm only 52. You're 58. George, they voted Potter down. Whoopee, we're still in business. <laughs> Under the one condition that you take your father's place, George. Oh, no, no, I gotta go to college. Uncle Billy here, he's your man, yeah. You can keep him on, ah, that's all right. No. No, I'm going to school. This is my last chance. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. And now that was a clip from It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play. And of course, uh, that is the reason why we have such a, uh, a good recording of the production um, available for you today because it will be staged for a live audience, but also for a radio audience, and a spoiler alert is uh, we're actually partnering with y'all to present this um, Christmas story uh, to our radio audience, and uh, we're very much looking forward to that. Now, I'm curious, uh, as we just heard that clip, why did y'all decide to take what is uh, commonly known as a film and then present it live on stage, but for a radio audience? Actually, this adaptation is um, from Joe Landry, and it's a sort of interesting story about how this sort of came to be It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play. He wrote a full production of It's a Wonderful Life for a high school. Uh, one of his friends was teaching high school, and so he did the production. And it was well-received, and he had a lot of fun with that project. So he sent it to a professional theater, and they were going to do a production of it. But they ran out of budget in the middle of the project. So he had to really find a way to still tell the story, but without 
using up a lot of resources. So they decided to set it in a single locale, which took away a lot of the set requirements and things like that. So it's as if a live audience is listening to a 1940s radio broadcast. They're there in the audience. We're at microphones, and we're doing it as if it were going out to a radio audience. It's, it's a lot of fun, and it's very different than anything you'll probably see. And why did y'all make that decision? What made y'all decide to look at that adaptation as opposed to any of the other ways that this story has been represented over time? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think one of the things that drew me to this particular adaptation is it gave our students a chance to work with a lot of new challenges that they haven't necessarily worked with before. This is a lot about reaching those emotional levels that will allow an audience who isn't watching, who is only privy to the voices, to be able to follow that story and to feel that empathy that you have to feel for George Bailey in order to really have a satisfying story. Your concept really was is something very different than I first thought when I auditioned. Though I really was drawn to doing the live radio play, I realized that there are challenges to presenting a play to a live audience where you're not moving around and not cooking supper on an actual stove and, you know, those types of things. And so I decided to sort of add a little bit to Joe Landry's concept for the radio play by presenting our radio play as a memory. There's an actress who plays the part of Mary. So we have an actress who plays the part of older Mary. And so she's going to come in and she's going to sort of remember what it was like to be in this radio theater and to be the person, you know, who was bringing that story to life. And so in order to facilitate that understanding that it's a memory and to play on that excitement of how sort of nostalgic this story is for a lot of people, I decided to set the entire play in grayscale. So every single thing in our set is black and white and gray. Every single costume is black and white and gray. Our actors, except for the older Mary, will be black and white and gray. Much of the actual movie is in uh, recollections of past events, in the way that the mind's eye uh, may shade or color uh, those events. Do you find that that's amplified in the interpretation that you chose to take on this adaptation of an adaptation? Hmm, I haven't considered that. That's a good meta. That's a, yeah. Well, it's also a romance, too. And, Jan, you, you play two mothers of both Mary and George, which is the radio concept. You can play different voices. Tell about the romance. I don't think you ever get tired of watching two people fall in love. And it's so heightened in terms of the tension because of the way it's staged. And I kind of want to go back to the concept of Amy's, which just fascinates me and what drew me to this play as a, a stock Milledgeville player uh, to want to do this, because I remember her saying that she wanted the audience to feel as if they were watching a Turner classic movie, you know, as if they were being transported back to that experience. And it visually, it's just going to be so stunning and it kills me that we're on stage the whole time, so I won't be able to see what this looks like because I know it's going to be goosebumpy good. And it's so innovative. And I just I think the audience is going to love the experience they're going to have. 
All right, well, we're going to take a short break right now, but if you're just joining us, you're listening to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we are talking with Jan Hoffman, Amy Zipperer, and David Michelle about the Milledgeville Players' production of It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play. Um, I'm going to give you the information now, uh, so please take it down. You can see the live stage production of It's a Wonderful Life at 7 p.m. Friday and Saturday, December 8th and 9th. And on Sunday, December 10th, they're going to do a 2 p.m. matinee performance. All of the stage productions will take place in the Goldstein Center for the Performing Arts on the campus of Georgia Military College in downtown Milledgeville. You can learn more and purchase tickets at milledgevilleplayers.org. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Milledgeville Matters.
Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters and WRGC 88.3 FM. If you're just joining us, we're talking tonight about the Milledgeville Players' next production. Between December 8th and 10th, they will be putting on It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play at the Goldstein Center for the Performing Arts on the campus of Georgia Military College in downtown Milledgeville. Joining me in the WRGC studios to talk all about it are Jan Hoffman, David Michelle, and director Amy Zipperer. And now, we talked in that last segment about why y'all chose to present It's a Wonderful Life in this medium and in this interpretation of it. Um, but I was just wondering if you might talk about uh, maybe some of the more nuts and bolts aspect and uh, give us insight into what it took to embark upon this adaptation of It's a Wonderful Life. When I decided that I wanted to do this production, I decided that I really wanted to partner with the Milledgeville Players because one of the things that makes it wonderful is that there's a wide range of ages for the actors. It's a real Play. community base. Yeah. I mean, we've got kids, probably five or six kids, be, yeah. you know, in the 10 to 12-year-old range. We've yeah. got people like me who are older. <laughs> and and then the wide range of those young college yeah. students that you're talking about. And so, the play calls for that. So and you so, wanted your yes. GMC students to mingle with other more experienced actors too. Yes, absolutely. I didn't want them to play the parts of, you know, the older characters. I wanted them to play parts that were for their own age group um, so that they could really get into the truth of acting. You know, I think that that was important for them, especially since I have a lot of young, fresh actors. Um, I felt like it was important for them to really explore parts that aren't going to be too far from what their own life experience might, might be. So I wanted to get with the Milledgeville players because they have so many wonderful older actors, David Mouchel, Jan, um, just so many. Ken Garland. Ken Garland. Jim, Jim Boyd. Yeah. We have, you want, may want to name some of them because yeah. you know, people out there listening may, may recognize, hey, <laughs> I want to go see that guy. Yeah, come <clears throat> see Ken Garland. He's amazing. He plays several characters, and his characters are so different from each other. I mean, and that's one of the interesting things about doing a radio play is that you have to make those voices distinct because if you don't, it's going to be hard to follow. And was that a leap for them to take? Um, you talked about many experienced actors on the stage, but this, of course, is is a medium that um, I'm sure for some of the younger cast members they're not familiar with. And uh, even for some of your more experienced actors, this may be the first time that they've actually ventured into a broadcast medium yes. and not the live stage um, experience. A lot of our process has been about how to present this as a radio play. Um, we've spent so much time talking about how to reach those emotional levels that are going to allow people to access the story without gestures. Um, we've talked so much about how to create the sounds of a radio play. We've, oh, we've spent, we spent so long trying to figure out how to make a cricket. It was crazy. Wait, we do have a sound <laughs> effects table with the Foley artists actually doing all the sound effects, as you heard in that other clip. The doors slamming, phones hanging up, and all the noises of crowds and all that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it's, <clears throat> it was actually done by Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed after the movie became so popular. They actually performed it <clears throat> in front of a live audience in, in a radio format like this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many of the actors in the movie version were actually older than the characters that they mm -hmm. were playing. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I think audiences are going to love about this production is that so many of those 
characters are being played by younger people. And so there's a there's a realness there. Kind of like when you see Our Town, you just really feel that mm. these people are really the people, and the, especially the youngsters. I think there's a, a special kind of talent required for a director to work with as many children as Amy works with so brilliantly oh, and so patiently. Thank you so much. <laughs> because we've got a cast of 20-something. There's yeah. 23, 25 of us on that stage, and many of them are young. And there is one young man. It's not Bailey. It's Darian young, Hutchinson? The one young man that knows everyone's lines. He's he, amazing. He is amazing. How old is he? I think he's 12. He knows every single yeah. person's lines. After rehearsal the other day, I said, Darian, the next play we're doing is James and the Giant Peach. You need to audition. <laughs> <laughs> he's wonderful. They he, are amazing. And he is into it. It's so exciting to watch the young children really embracing their parts and getting so involved in the process. They're learning so much about theater. This is a great story, too, and it's a wonderful family story. And, and uh, we were listening to a clip earlier. The format, if you're not familiar with the movie, is that George Bailey is about to kill himself. And two angels, the superintendent of angels and Clarence, uh, angels second class, are reviewing George's life to see all the influences he had and why Clarence has to stop him from killing himself. And that's the crux of the story, although it doesn't come until the last half of the actual play, we hear them watching and reviewing George's life. And, and it comes to the point where George loses $8,000. Actually, his, un his uncle Billy loses 8000 and he has to go to Potter to beg. We have one more clip that maybe we can play. It's about a minute long from that particular moment. An excellent setup, sir. <laughs> so that's it, George. You're $8,000 short. I'll pay anything, Mr. Potter, any interest. If you want the building in loan, it's yours. So, you say it was lost. Uh, did you notify the police? No. What, what, with, what with Harry's homecoming tomorrow, I just... Why come to me? Why not go to Sam Wainwright? I can't get hold of Sam. He's in Europe. Well, what kind of security do you have, George? I have a $15,000 life insurance policy. And how much equity do you have in it? $500. <laughs> you want $8,000? <laughs> you used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man coming here crawling on your hands and knees for help? You're worth more dead than alive. I'll do anything. Please help me. I'll tell you what I'll do for you, George. As a stockholder in the building and loan, I'm going to call the state examiner to get a warrant for your arrest. Ah, malfeasance, manipulation of funds, and mani But you go ahead and run, George. You can run, but you can't hide in this little town. And that was another clip from It's a Wonderful Life, a radio play. If you're just joining us, we're talking about this production of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, and the production will take place between December 8th and 10th at the Goldstein Center for the Performing Arts on the campus of Georgia Military College. Um, we're talking today with members of the Milledgeville Players, uh, David Michelle, Jan Hoffman, and director Amy Zipperer. Uh, now, we're getting close to the, the end of our time today, and uh, one of the things that um, we haven't really talked about that much is um, how this has 
come to be a holiday classic. As we've talked about, I think it almost could take place at any time of the year, but of course, uh, we so commonly think of this as a touchstone for the holidays. Uh, why has it become such? Well, the, uh, the, the story of how people touch each other's lives and what would happen if you weren't around to have lived your life and what George realizes when he does have that moment. Clarence, the uh, angel's second class, lets him see what his life would be like had he not lived, what Bedford Falls would turn into. And it, it's it's sad. It's very, very – and suddenly he realizes the preciousness of life. But at Christmas time, that's also very important. It's a time where you really do reflect on life and the importance of family and friends and, and all that. So it's ideal for Christmas. And uh, the kids, too. I mean, the kids in the play and kids listening or kids coming to see it, it's a moment for them, too, to really cherish the kind of joy of the holidays. And. As I'm thinking about this, uh, we've talked uh, during the breaks um, much about um, how this is a, a multi-generational production, and it's a, a story that has really captivated so many generations uh, since its uh, major debut as a movie back in 1946. I'm wondering if, for y'all, if y'all have gained anything extra from being involved in the production of it that's new for you in this stage production of It's a Wonderful Life. You know, I grew up watching the movie for as long as I can remember, right, at least once a year, and I'm quite long in the tooth at this point. And the the distillation of the story and the emotions and the voices and the feelings that you get when this is staged this way was really quite remarkable for me. I, I felt so involved and so connected the whole time I'm standing in the back of that stage listening to what's happening in front of me I am riveted and I am almost more strongly transported to the spirit of that story than I am when I'm watching a movie with kind of all the bells and whistles and all that visual stimulation and I'm grateful that Amy had this vision and I think that the audience is going to find this maybe their very favorite iteration of It's a Wonderful Life. So I urge them to come down and see it and also to listen to it on your radio station. Well, we're just about out of time. And so I was wondering if you could give one more brief invitation to our radio audience um, to make their choice to come out to the live stage production or to just enjoy it in the comfort of their own home um, as we broadcast it from WRGC 88.3 FM. Yeah, this is the first collaboration between GMC Fine Arts and uh, the Milledgeville Players, and it has been such a precious, precious process for me. And so I just am so excited to invite everyone to come out and to see it December 8th through 10th, 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 2 o'clock, playing at the Goldstein Center uh, for the Performing Arts at Georgia Military College. You can get tickets by going to www.milledgevilleplayers.org. Or you can get them at the door. Or you can get them at the door. But you better get there early because it's a beautiful and small theater. And I expect capacity crowds. So come on down. Well, Amy Zipperer, Jan Hoffman, David Michelle, thank you so very much for 
joining me today to invite our radio audience to come and experience It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play. You've been listening to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. Tonight, we talked about a collaboration between the Georgia Military College Performing Arts Program and the Milledgeville Players to present It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play. You can experience It's a Wonderful Life in person December 8th through 10th at the Goldstein Performing Arts Center at Georgia Military College. And for our part, WRGC 88.3 FM will present the broadcast edition of It's a Wonderful Life twice on December 19th and December 26th at 8 p.m. But for tonight, I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending this portion of the evening with you here on WRGC 88.3 FM. And I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.